This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at Ravinia.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. This is Reset. I'm Justin Kaufman. According to the CDC, one in 45 American adults are on the autistic spectrum. And we're seeing more and more people diagnosed well into adulthood. So what does it feel like to have it your whole life and not know it until you're 45? That's what's happened to Rolling Meadows native Jeff Ulrich. Ulrich grew up in our area before heading to L.A. where he would start two influential podcasting companies, Earwolf and then Midroll. The former is one of the biggest podcasting network in the country. He retired five years ago after selling both businesses. Recently, Ulrich went to Twitter to explain his diagnosis to his friends. So what happens now? Jeff Ulrich joins us to talk about it. Jeff, welcome to Reset. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. So what indications did you have growing up that that you might be autistic? (laughs) At the time, none. Uh, As you can imagine, growing up in the late 70s and the 80s, there was even less awareness about neurodiversity than there is now. So I think, you know, all of my realizations have been recent and, and retroactive. But, you know, I've spent a lot of time processing this. And thing, a lot of things pop out. You know, one of my most memorable moments of my life at the time, I was 25 years old, and I went to see my favorite band, Wilco, open for REM at the World Music Theater, mm-hmm. I think it was called, <laughs> right, in right, Finley. Right, right. <laughs> and the first, that was the first time I ever saw their song, Misunderstood, played live. And uh, it was essentially, like, unbeknownst to me, like my autistic anthem, because I had felt seen for the first time. I had never felt very well understood as I was growing up. And that song really kind of like made me feel like uh, other people understood what it was like to to not understand yourself. And, you know, I, I, I've been spending eight months during my since my diagnosis figuring this stuff out. And it feels like one long scene of like Chaz Palmateri and Usual Suspects. <laughs> where you're just like looking around realizing, you know, like who Kaiser Soze really is. One like example I can give you, I was watching the Bulls documentary, the ESPN documentary with my wife, Darlene, and the Craig Elo game came on and I paused it. I said, oh man, I will never forget where I was when I watched this game. I was in a, at a family party. I was in my aunt's bedroom. I was all alone so I could intensely focus on the game because it felt like the whole outcome of my life depended on what was going to happen here. And then I hit play. We watched some more of the, the movie. And like a few minutes later, I paused it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm realizing like that was me being autistic at 12 years old. I was in this house full of family. It was really loud. Everyone was watching the game. And I had to be alone because the sensory overload was too much for me. And if I was going to pay attention to this thing I cared about, I needed to be completely alone and quiet and not not interrupted at all. And it was really 
illuminating. Luckily for me, Darlene grew up across the street from me. So I actually have like a cultural anthropologist as it relates (laughs) to me being autistic (laughs) to help me go through this. Now, how did it feel to get the diagnosis? I mean, you're 45 years old. You said it's been eight months. You just went to Twitter to explain it to everybody. But but how did it feel when Doc is like, hey, you know what? This is the diagnosis. You're autistic. What was going through your mind? It was jarring. You know, by the time I showed up to the office, it was Darlene and I, and you know, I went to UCLA and you're in this 10 by 10 foot room with no windows and this doctor who's essentially a stranger. And even though I was kind of expecting it, when she said, you know, I'm, we're diagnosing you as autistic, the first thing I did is actually I started recording. I took my phone out and I started recording because I knew I wasn't going to be able to process the rest of the conversation very well. And you sit there and you have a two hour conversation with a stranger that is more intimate and more profound and more true about you and your brain and your life and your marriage and your friendships than any conversation you've had in your life, including with your wife of 10 years who's sitting next to you, who's known you for 41 years. I was not prepared. I was hoping to be diagnosed. You know, I'm almost nine years sober. I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to find a community. I'm going to be supported. I'm going to have other people to support me or that I can support. I'm going to feel understood. And I was really kind of almost looking forward to it. And then when I got the news and, and the conversation that ensued, I just felt even more isolated and more lonely. And my identity of self kind of just mm. was blown to smithereens. How do you look at your life now, Jeff, uh, that you have the official diagnosis? I mean, does it change when we talked a little bit about, you know, kind of reflecting back, but does it change how you see it moving forward? Well, I mean, this last eight months has been really, really difficult. I'm not going to lie. I've been working really hard to process this information. You know, I have friends who are great people who don't always respond in the right way. And so there's a lot of work to do in my life to have people understand this. Um, I've done a lot of grieving around kind of not understanding myself for this long, but I'm really happy. I've gotten to a place where I no longer identify as neurotypical, which took a lot of work after having done so my entire life. But now most of the world still sees me that way. And, you know, I have a lot of work to do. So I'm trying to transition into actually identifying as autistic because even though I'm no longer neurotypical, I'm still not sure how to be autistic. Mm. And so I'm in this a bit of a no man's land where it kind of feels like I'm making progress sometimes and other times I kind of feel like I'm nowhere. Right. But, um, you know, we're resilient and we just kind of keep working through it. And, you know, I, I've been really happy with my progress. Jeff Ulrich's with me. Uh, Jeff, a former Chicagoan, grew up in Rolling Meadows, uh, is out living uh, out west right now, started two influential podcasting companies, Earwolf and Midroll. Earwolf's one of the biggest podcast networks in the country right now, and uh, retired a, a couple years back, was just this year diagnosed with autism at the age of 45. We're talking about uh, that diagnosis and just the idea of learning about that diagnosis uh, at a mature age, let me say it that way. Uh, <laughs> What did you know about, I mean, you've talked about being neurotypical, but what did you know about autism before you uh, were diagnosed? Well, you know, I had done research and had spent time, I, I know a few people who are autistic, so I had a decent understanding of what it was, but I'm definitely very changed since uh, my diagnosis, and I relate to other autistics and the community 
in a very different way. It's just, it, it's very different. You know, it's different when I realized I'm learning now, like how ableist I've been my life mm. uh, as someone who identified as neurotypical. And now I'm disabled and I'm learning what it means to be disabled and to not be seen and to have the world not make accommodations for you. And these things are starting to show up in my life in a way that I never understood. I had an Airbnb that I had rented and my wife went for a couple days on her own and then I was supposed to join after and she found a bunch of huge roaches in the bathroom. And I was like, I can't do it. I had to email the people and say, you know what? I'm autistic. I can do ants. I can do spiders. I can do flies, but rats, mice, and roaches, I cannot do. Mm. I'm so sorry. I will not be able to sleep there and I, I need a refund. And they never responded. And I realized like there was no out, there was no recourse for me. There was no way for me to, uh, uh, to advocate for myself. And so I'm really learning what it's like to be on the other side where before I, I thought I was neurotypical and, and now I'm not. Mm -hmm. Jeff, as, as you talk about isolation, you talk about having to come to terms in the last eight months with, with that idea of, of being isolated or feeling alone. What advice do you have for others who may be in your situation or are autistic and, and dealing with uh, the fact that they are misunderstood or uh, alone? You know, Justin, as I like enter the community publicly, I'm a little nervous about how to talk about that because everybody's different. You know, you hear this all the time. If you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism. Right. There's a lot of sensitivity about not having someone be a spokesperson for like a general population. And I want to respect that. Having said that, you know, I will say that as difficult as this has been to confront the fact that my brain and my body don't work the way other people's do. And that I didn't know that. And I had to mask that. And I had to endure lots of trauma and lots of abuse because I wasn't able to be who other people expected me to. This has been an amazing experience for me to learn more about myself and to figure out how I can be supportive of other, of other people. So I would basically just say you cannot uh, ignore who you are. And it's really destructive to allow other people to try and force you to be someone you're not. I mean, autistics don't live as long as neurotypicals by a long shot. You know, we're talking like the average life expectancy of an autistic is 36 years old. And it's not because you're autistic. It's because the world is not meant to accept you for who you are. It's not meant to accommodate how your brain works. And so it's really important to learn about this stuff and to advocate for yourself. And if you're a neuro neurotypical, autism is all around you. And you got to start checking your ableism, start paying attention to what this is, because you don't know very much and it's not your fault. <laughs> you know, right. like there's a lot of social awareness issues in, going on in the world right now, and they're all important. But this is something that I'd like to work to start adding to the list because yeah. my life would have been very different if I wasn't living as a neurotypical when I was autistic for 45 years. Yeah. Jeff Ulrich with us, uh, grew up in the Chicago area, uh, diagnosed with autism at the age of 45, just came, just went public with it uh, last week. Jeff, appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Uh, appreciate a better understanding of, of what you're going through and uh, being an adult diagnosed with autism. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Justin. 
That's it for today's Reset. If you want to hear more conversations just like this one, head over to Reset Archives at WBEZ.org. We'll release a new podcast there every day around 4. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll talk tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.